Good evening. Today is Tuesday, January 4th, 2022, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This, this week's chapter, oh, I'm sorry, bear with me. This week's chapter is more about alcoholism, and our speaker tonight is Sherry I. Thank you, Sherry I. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Sherry A. Um, uh, compulsive. <laughs> okay, Joy, thank you. Um, I'm Sherry A. I'm gratefully recovered today um, from uh, compulsive eating, food addiction, um, and um, and really, really excited um, to be able to share um, on this chapter. Um, I live outside of Chicago, uh, west of Chicago. So I see some of my Chicago peeps. <laughs> um, so I wanted to um, start um, just by saying why I was so excited um, about um, getting to share on this particular chapter. Um, and the reason is kind of the the for me it starts kind of like from the beginning or from the end and working backwards um i went back and just read a little bit um and you know some of the notes that i took and some of the reflections that i had um this chapter was so powerful powerful for me um because as i was reading this chapter and reflecting on it um i realized that I was, I, I was actually out of ideas. And, um, and I, I'm sure somebody said this and I wrote it down, um, but this was my experience that as I was reading this chapter, um, the doors to any other potential solution to this disease that was killing me um, in my heart and mind were closing. And as I got to read about the people who are, um, whose stories are in this chapter, I got to see um, what I had been doing. And, and I, I came to the realization that, um, like it says at the very last, um, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human can provide such a defense. Um, my defense had to come from a higher power. And that was true for me. Um, and so I just wanted to share a little bit. Um, I have been a compulsive overeater, um, like many people, um, since I was a very young child. Um, and I have daydreamed since I was a very young child about not being a compulsive overeater. I have daydreamed and fantasized about being something other than a compulsive overeater, about uh, being somebody who wasn't always uncomfortable and always sneaking food, who wasn't ashamed of my body, who wasn't afraid of people, who wanted to be connected and wanted to be out in the world and learn and explore things. I fantasized about being in a thin body. I fantasized about feeling comfortable in my own skin um, since the time I was probably in early elementary school. And so when it starts out here um, at the beginning of the chapter and talks about men and women who've lost their ability to control their drinking, um, 
that's been a, it's been a pretty, uh, pretty much since, you know, kindergarten, I kind of knew that I was doing something with food that my sisters weren't, my parents weren't, other people around me weren't. Um, and, um, and this sense of incomprehensible demoralization, I experienced that as a profound self-loathing and self-hatred before I came into these rooms and came to understood that this disease is just part of how I got, this is my makeup, that I'm not responsible for this disease. I've thought for a very long time I was responsible for this disease because I was just like kind of a crap human being. Um, and so when I get to this, um, at the beginning of more about alcoholism, the incomprehensible demoralization, I experienced that without even knowing really what that was. Um, but when I did come into the rooms and I understood, and I came into the rooms in earnest in February of 2016, um, I watched a story about somebody who died of addiction and who had tried to quit. And I was recovering from a serious medical procedure. And I was like, oh man, like I'm gonna die. Like I'm gonna keep eating until I die. Like I could just see myself in the story of that person. Um, and, um, when it says incomprehensible demoralization, uh, the big book is such a beautiful piece of literature, but for me, it helps me to, um, think about, um, what those words actually mean. And so one of the things that I had written down that still resonates with me is incomprehensible demoralization to deprive someone of spirit, courage to throw a person into bewilderment, disorder, and confusion. And that is what um, has happened for me with this disease, both uh, struggling with it before I came into the room and struggling um, and fighting the food and messing around with the food in the rooms for five years. So um, I came into the rooms, I was in the rooms, I found a recovered sponsor who was awesome. Um, and I um, kind of moving on to this next paragraph, we are like people who've lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other people. And I came into the rooms and I got very excited because uh, I was losing weight. I felt good about myself for the first time. And so I did have the wrong idea that somehow my legs were going to regrow, that somehow this was going to be my ticket to be like the normal person I always fantasized of being like, oh, and so I got very excited. Um, and unfortunately, um, as it goes on to say in the next paragraph, despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe themselves to be in that class by every form of self-deception and experimentation, they tried to prove themselves exceptions to the rule. And that was the case for me. Even though I had a recovered sponsor, um, even though we went over the allergy of the body and the twist of the mind, I still thought that I somehow got to not feel bad about myself anymore, lose weight and move toward being in uh, a more normal body that would pass through the world without as much pain and shame as I was experiencing. And also that I still got to do what I wanted to do with food to comfort myself, to entertain myself. 
um, and to just like have something to go to. Um, and so like it says here, I did try to prove myself the exception to the rule and therefore not a compulsive overeater. And I just kept going to the food to try and get things. Um, and my understanding of this disease today where food is concerned, and I stole this from somebody, everybody steals from everybody else, so don't feel too bad. <laughs> the metaphor that really resonated with me, I have no idea who said it, is I am like, I'm, I am like a, an animal in the zoo. Like my food comes on regular times in weighted measured portions, according to my age, my health conditions, to give me optimal physical health. For me, the kind of compulsive overeater that I am, and I can only speak for myself, for me, if food starts to stray into a territory where it is more than that, it's on its way to becoming everything. And that has just been my experience of this disease. And so I did, I experimented um, for um, five years um, and I tried messing around with different things. Um, um, some of the things, because um, I think it's always helpful for me to hear um, what it talks about in this chapter, we tried every imaginable remedy. So I just want to tell a little bit of the imaginable remedies that I came up with. I've had bariatric surgery. I did a month-long juice fast on my 30th birthday that kicked off a 90-pound weight loss that was back within 18 months. Um, I went on Ayurvedic diet. I went and got a master's degree in nutrition. I forced all my friends to be my workout buddies because I thought if I would just work out enough with support and feel good, then somehow I would end up in a normal body size. Um, and I also want to share the things that I tried while in OA to do things my way. I tried doing things like making food substitutions and saying, you know what, a carb is a carb is a carb. Instead of this brown rice, I think I'm just really going to go and get a cappuccino and count my milk as my carbohydrate. And you know what? A protein is a protein. It's a protein. Why don't I switch out some of this lean protein I was going to do and eat nuts for my protein? So in and out of the rooms, I have tried every imaginable thing that I could come up with to somehow try and beat this game and get what I wanted, which was not to be suffering and also to be able to do what I wanted to do with food. Um, and so um, the, the, what I see, um, and I, I did get pretty emotional, um, especially, um, I'm not, obviously it's, it's not a lot of time. So I just wanna focus on the one of these stories that really, that really resonates with me. And it's the jaywalker. And um, sometimes folks are like, man, that story is too intense. Like I can't identify with that. And I felt that way the first time too. But again, I just wanna share how I was like the jaywalker. Um, and so um, I'm gonna, this is down at the bottom of 37. My behavior is as absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first bite is that as an individual who has a passion for jaywalking, I get a thrill out of skipping in front of fast moving vehicles. I enjoy myself uh, a few years of friendly warnings um, and friendly warnings, things like um, many, many people um, in my family 
are genetically predisposed to cancer. I lost my father and my great and my grandmother to cancer. So I had warnings all along the way saying, wow, Sherry, you know, you're getting close to 300 pounds and obesity is also a risk factor for cancer. Um, those were some friendly warnings, right? Folks are like, hey, maybe you should look into that. You know, um, we want you to be healthy. We want you, you know, we don't want to see that happen to you. That was a friendly warning. Um, and I had doctors tell me in my 30s, hey, you know what? Your body is carrying too much weight and your veins, they're just hurting and it's going to be a problem. Um, and so along the way, um, on my way up to my top weight, which I'm 5'2", and my top weight, I was 315 pounds. Um, I had warnings along the way. Um, and I, I was like the jaywalker. I, and it says, you know, on the next page that maybe not everybody put their bodies, put themselves through the ringer. When I read that, what I hear is I put my body through the ringer. I did not, um, I did not ever go without a place to lay my head. I never was homeless. Um, I managed to keep jobs through some grace and mercy. I will never understand that I did not deserve. Um, but what I did do is I put my body through the ringer. Um, and on my wedding day, um, I was at my highest weight when I got married. Um, I, was, I was in a lot of pain. I was in a lot of physical pain. Um, and physical pain accompanied a lot of my life's activities. Um, physical pain because of being over 300 pounds um, determined how I felt about myself. And it also determined where I would go or not go. Um, I made lots of excuses, uh, avoided people because I didn't want to walk as far as it would take to walk to do the things that people were suggesting that we would do. And so um, I do identify with having put my body through the ringer. Um, and also, um, uh, I think I didn't know. Um, uh, I'm going to stop and just kind of um, share that I have, um, I am in a normal body size today. And um, I put the food down over a year ago and have experienced uh, food neutrality. Um, and the suffering that I did not even know that I was putting myself through before I got sober with the food and started working these steps um, was the emotional ringers that I would put myself through, the things that I created. Um, and so for me, um, this disease did put my body through the ringer and it also put, I put myself emotionally through the ringer. Um, because of what was going on. And so on the next page, when it says um, that our brains and bodies, um, they've been damaged. And for me, that was true. This disease changed me in ways, um, even though I am recovered today, this disease has changed me and shaped me in ways um, that will, I will, when I was little, I always imagined that like some miracle was gonna happen and I would just like appear as a skinny person. Um, and now I understand that this disease, even though today, uh, gratefully, I get to exist one day at a time um, uh, in a place of grace with my higher power, um, I am changed by this disease and will Five ever minutes. be changed. Five Thank you. Um, and will ever be changed by this disease. Um, and 
um, what has happened to me um, as a result of reading through this chapter, um, my sponsor, um, as I was reading through this chapter, she gave me an assignment to identify, a daily assignment to identify where I was powerless. And I needed that because I still felt like I had some power. And so as I read through this chapter and I read about the Daywalker and I started to um, see where I was powerless in my life, um, I, did come, um, I did come to the conclusion. Um, and I, some of our, others, our other fellows also used the, the phrase a bankruptcy of power, like zero like negative power, <laughs> like if there's like a below the zero, that's like how much power I don't have, right? And so I get to the end of this chapter um, and what was really beautiful about it for me um, is that it's just where I need to be. I am right in the exact right place that I need to be for my higher power to start to do the work. And what I love about what uh, is shared by recovered alcoholics who wrote this is that when I do come to that point of understanding I am powerless, um, that puts me in the place of uh, openness and acceptance that I need something, I need help. And that help can't come from me and it can't come from my ideas and it can't come from my schemes or my plans or anything. It has to come from something bigger than me. Um, I know we'll, it moves on to sort of talk about we agnostics, um, but what I want to say today is that um, that place of um, acknowledging absolute powerlessness, um, that is where I get to be every day. Um, because I wasn't just powerless before I worked this stuff. Right. And then I got power and it was all great. <laughs> I am like, uh, powerless today. I am as powerless over food and as powerless over all the things in my life that I think I need to control, that I think I need to be up to. Um, and so um, what's really beautiful for me um, is that um, as long as I think I have some power, as long as I think I got some answers or, I mean, I think I'm a pretty clever person. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and I used my, I thought like my big brain was how I was going to deal with the world because I was over 300 pounds. And um, the grace of this chapter is that it shows me that um, however clever I think I am, that there is nothing I can think of, nothing I can come up with that will beat this disease. And I can see over the course of my life that it was um, progressing and it became harder and harder. Um, and I know I don't have a lot of time, so I'm not gonna get to speak very much on the mental blank spot, um, but part of what brought me to put the food down and, and work these steps and finally experience um, uh, the ability to surrender and to make a commitment to keep turning my will in my life over to power, um, it was because uh, the I just couldn't stop thinking about food. So before I put the week before I put the food down and called somebody and said, please help, this is killing me. 
um, it had progressed to the point where if I had a thought about food, I could not stop myself from following through, through and having that particular thing. Um, and so um, I'm just really grateful um, today to be able to wake up and joyfully say, I am powerless over food. My life is unmanageable. Um, and thank God there is a program and all of you that showed me my way to a trustworthy power um, and showed me um, what was necessary to start to have a relationship with that loving and trustworthy power. Um, and I've experienced in this last year and month or so, um, just a joy and a light that I have never experienced before in 46 years of being on the planet and being um, a spirit in a body. And I thank you all so, so, so much uh, just for being here and sharing um, your experience and your hope um, because um, that saves me and it keeps saving me. Um, and so guys, I just really appreciate you all. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Sherry A. We will now open the meeting for questions or for three minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep track, the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the telephone and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Would the timekeeper please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when the time is up. If the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. Amy, we got a running start, go ahead. Thank you so much, Erin, and thank you, Joy, for your service. And Sherry A, thank you so much for that wonderful step one um, presentation on more about alcoholism. I would actually like to pass my three minutes to hear you talk about the mental blank spot, as you mentioned. So uh, three minutes I passed, thank you. Yes, um, so um, what I experience um, of the mental blank spots um, and what I experienced while I was um, in, in OA and um, what I experienced was that um, I had a lot of wishful thinking. I had a lot of wishful thinking um, and my wishful thinking. And I just heard somebody share today and it was so great. Um, somebody from another one of our, our sister programs. And he, he shared how somebody like told him to write down the moment of worst hurt, homeless, on the street, beat up because of his addiction. And put it in his wallet and pull it out. And I didn't even have to pull it out of my wallet. I carried around, I carried around the pain. I carried around the pain. And yet, and yet my wishful thinking, um, for me, I think that's what the mental blank spot was, is just an inability to tell the truth from the false. Um, I didn't, I mean, I, I, I didn't have to go far. I was in physical pain from this disease. And when I, and, and when I was trying to put the food down on my own power, 
um, I would, I would always come up with a reason to convince myself um, that whatever I felt like I needed to do, right? I need this. I need to make this. I need to have this extra bit. And it's stupid. It's like, really? You, you need, you need to have uh, another bowl of yogurt and frozen fruit, which is like your substitute for ice cream. You need to have that. Like, it's fine. It's healthy. It's wonderful. So for me, the mental blank spot came and it was, it, it didn't matter. I was still experiencing the disease, the pain of physical pain of the disease. And even that, even that just it, my brain was not able to tell the truth from the false. Um, and for me, working the steps has been on a daily basis, helping me to begin to distinguish where my thinking is really faulty and where it's, it's just crazy. And the crazy and, and the joy of, of getting to work the steps. And I know we're not talking about that today, but those mental blank spots, they come up. But now I have a program and I have people and I can be like, wait a second, that thought seems weird and off base. What was that? And now I have a program and I have fellows and I can call somebody and be like, I just had this thought and it's not sitting right. Something seems real off. Um, and so I don't know that I am ever, um, in terms of picking up my toxic, will kill me, poison, allergic foods, that mental blank spot has been removed. I am, I, I, I do not have even for a second, the desire to do something with food that I know will kill me. In terms of the mental blank spots with all the other weird shit that my brain gets up to, that's an ongoing process. So with that, I will pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sherry. Next up, we have Kristen H. Hi, I'm Kristen, compulsive ever ever. Sherry, thank you so much for your share. I, um, it was it was really great. It was really great um, listening to you. Um, I I think that um, I my goal in life is to be um, kind of what you said to wake up in the thin body, and I feel like that kind of parallels with the story of the man who um, just gave up drinking while he was working and then quit and retired. Like that's. I want to be able to just quit eating, get a thin body and like not, and then be able to eat like normal people after a certain, you know, after I have the thin body, that's, that's my dream. And so, um, you know, that story is really informative because it says, you know, that's just not a thing. If you're a, a real compulsive overeater, like that's just not how it's going to be. Um, another thing I really love about this chapter, and I always try to make sure that I keep in mind is, um, I think, uh, it was, uh, sorry, let me check. I think it's Fred. Uh, yeah, Fred. So, um, I love Fred's story because I feel like a lot of, um, hay is made by people, myself included about watching out for like when things are bad. And you might like, I might eat like, you know, things aren't going my way or I have a bad cop fight with my boyfriend or, you know, da, da, da. and I like Fred's story because it reminds me that it doesn't matter. Like he, Fred had a great day, right? He, he flew to Washington. He, you know, he 
talk to the government. He was a big deal. And then he just no defense against the first drink. And um, even though it was a good day, and I have to keep that in mind because my mind does not care what reason it has. In fact, today I did something very positive for my program overall. And I made some decisions with respect to my recovery that are really helping me. And my mind is like, that's great. You should go get sugar to celebrate. And then you'll start tomorrow because my mind is sick, totally sick. And so I feel like that's, you know, also covered in this chapter. This is one of my favorite chapters in the book, except for, uh, we agnostics. So anyway, um, thanks for your lessons. And I hope it's okay that I went on about Fred. He's kind of one of my favorites. So, um, everyone have a great night. Thanks so much. Thanks, Kristen. We love Fred. All good. Um, Emily B. Hi, everybody. I'm Emily D., a recovered compulsive overeater, um, also a fan of Fred in Chicago. And thank you so much, neighbor, for your share. It's really good to hear your miracle. And you carried the message so beautifully tonight. Um, that sort of ended with this, this, this sort of pitch for community. And um, I need you guys. I mean, right? I'm I'm a year and seven months into uh, a new way of life, where the worst moments I have now, like it says, are like don't even compare to the best moments I had in the food, because there was always that lingering, like I'm a piece of shit back here, right? It just like it was never enough, never enough, never enough, never enough, no matter how great I looked. Uh, which, by the way, if I looked like how I think, like if my thoughts came out of my body, I think I would look like a tumbleweed. I mean, my thinking, it's all my thinking. And, you know, I think this chapter really clarifies for me, like if my, if my thoughts, and there's a great speaker in AA, Bob D, who talks about this, right? if my thoughts were a pie chart, like how much time am I spending thinking about food? Well, it was, a hundred percent of the time it is now, I kid you not zero. Well, 5% of the time I meal prep, right? I eat the food that I say I'm going to eat. And I don't think about it, but guess what that clears up space for like living a life, living a life. Sex is not on the plate. That's one of my favorite sayings. I loved your saying it's like, it's not, I spent some time talking to um, a new sponsee today and you know, we spent 40 minutes talking about food. And I was like, God, I remember, right? I remember that. So, you know, I, I've had an entire personality change. I've become more myself and the work is just getting started, which I'm glad we don't lead with. And if you're new here, like it, it's absolutely, again, the best life ever compared to my best days in, in the food, but the work continues. And I was just saying to someone else today, like I'm the lucky one, like I get to hopefully walk with you guys the rest of my life. And it means a lot that all of you show up and I get to see your faces because I need, I need help and I need people. Um, and I've accepted, and I hope we all do that. We're not like other people. And that makes us real lucky in some ways, right. In many, many, many ways. So Thank you so much for your message tonight, Sherry.